Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows? That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode, with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. December 7th. Earth 2. 1941. A world very much like our own, yet slightly different. A date which will live in infamy. A world at war. The United States of America was suddenly and deliberately attacked by naval and air forces of the Empire of Japan. Following the Japanese sneak attack on Pearl Harbor, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt brought together the largest group of mystery men ever assembled to battle the Axis powers. Tales of the Justice Society of America presents The All-Star Squadron. Welcome back to the Tales of the Justice Society of America. This is episode number 60, and I, for a change, am Scott Gardner. And I, for another change, am Michael Bailey. (laughs) It occurs to me that I seldom introduce myself as myself anymore. I don't know why, so... My name is Michael Bailey. Scott Gardner has the night off. (laughs) My brain has the night off. (laughs) Synapses! Like half the listeners are going to get that and half the other half are going to be like, huh? They suddenly got that, all stupid. And that other half needs to listen to Star Trek Monthly Month. <laughs> they need to listen to everything on a Two True Freaks feed. Everything. Exactly. Every single thing. Everything. <laughs> so how's it going, Mike? It's going good. I've, I had a, I had a really nice evening. I, my, my dad moved back in the area recently and we, me and my wife and him and his wife went out to dinner. And we and they all ate except for me. I, I had the admiral's feast. Uh, they all had the all-you-can-eat shrimp. Ah, uh, oh, you make me so good. hungry. I love shrimp. So, and for one of the first times in my adult life, I had a beer with my dad. Aw, aw. 
I'm going to have to find some super sappy music to put underneath this right now. <laughs> well, as we were just discussing just before we both hit the record button, uh, I don't think we have any sort of real preamble for this one. So I think not we really just go ahead and just dive right in. And you've got the synopsis on. Well, didn't you have something to do with music? I'm going to bring that up in the uh, in the notes section. Okay, very good. It, very good. it probably makes a little more sense there. <laughs> God, this is like <laughs> Jeffrey Taylor and I recorded from Crisis to Crisis last night, and we not only had only five minutes of preamble talk before we started the episode, we were just like, okay, we're here. We'll be right back. <laughs> so it's going to be an interesting week of editing because I won't have like the usual, uh, usually great conversation. I'm not complaining. It's just mm-hmm. kind of funny that, that for the two, two of the shows that I'll be editing this week, it'll be like, okay, let's get into it now. Damn it. Uh, we have an awesome All-Star Squadron number 26. The Greatest Heroes of Comicdom's Golden Age. And you know what? That's not hyperbole either, because outside of Cap, the Human Torch, and Namor, Marvel's Golden Age characters suck. On the whole. I was trying to think of anybody... Yeah, I, I you know, I, I think you've nailed it with that one. Yeah, I think you're right. So, I can't... I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any rebuttal to that. So yeah, I agree. And on this cover, once again, they have made the mistake of putting heads at the bottom, uh, which throws off the awesome image of Robin Guardian, the Flash, who's rolling up his sleeves like, I'm about to beat the living piss out of somebody. Johnny Quick, Phantom Lady, and Wildcat going, Okay, Ultra, here we come. And this, I think, if I'm correct, is a play on Captain Marvel Adventures number 16 which was also cover dated October, but in 1942. And it has Uncle Sam taking off his jacket and Captain Marvel rolling up his sleeves. You know, that that actually would explain something because my very first note on this, beyond being a great cover, is why is Captain Marvel dressed like the Flash? Because I, I think Flash, in this particular instance, looks like Captain yeah. Marvel. Or at least, you know, Jerry Orbe. a little beefier. Because yeah. I always picture Jay Garrick as being kind of skinny. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, not exactly. in a bad way, just, you know. No, yeah, like like a like a runner, you know, lean mm-hmm. and mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but the Captain Marvel adventures, it's Captain Marvel fights so- shoulder to shoulder with Uncle Sam to beat the Jap invaders in Alaska. I'm going to have to find that. That sounds and, like something that's right up my alley. And there's writing on the bottom of that cover. So th- And it's not mentioned in the... The reason why I'm mentioning it now is it's not mentioned in the companion. So either they forgot, mm-hmm. or I'm just reading into this and it's just a great big dink. Um, but on the bottom it says, In this issue, the startling secret of Infinity Incorporated. Fury, Northwind, Silver Scarab, Nuclon, Obsidian, and Jade. We have our preamble, Winter 1942, A World at War. And against the forces of Axis Darkness, the mightiest heroes of Earth 2 have banded together under direct orders of the President as the All-Star Squadron. This was cover dated October 1983. Talons Across Time is the story title. Roy Thomas, writer-editor, Jerry Ordway, pencil artist, Mike Macklin, inker, Gene D'Angelo, colorist, and Cody Letterer. And the quote for this issue is, as if you could kill time without injuring eternity from Henry David Thoreau. 
Phantom Lady and Robin race towards Fury and Northwind as Batman and the Tarantula fade away. In their place is Vulcan, an axe-wielding fire guy, and the Mist, enemy of Starman. The Mist calls dibs on Robin, which is beyond creepy to me, and I, and I would make a Family Guy reference, but Scott doesn't really care for that show, so I <laughs> Oh, he can make your reference. I'm sorry, he kind of looks like Herbert the Pervert from Family Guy. <laughs> hey there, Mustang! I call dibs on Robin! Got some popsicles <laughs> in my mist! Um, with the help of Annie the Riveter, Phantom Lady draws the mist into a wind tunnel, which threatens to tear the villain apart. Vulcan tears into the room himself and destroys the giant fan, causing the whole blaze to go boom. Thinking Phantom Lady dead, Vulcan and Mist make their escape with two police officers, opening fire and marveling at their fact at the fact that their bullets aren't doing much of anything. Elsewhere, Liberty Bell and Commander Steel are replaced by Brainwave Senior and the Psycho Pirate, who make short work of the Newsboy Legion and the Guardian, while the Monocle and Ragdoll replace the Atom and Green Lantern. Amazing Man is called out by an onlooker for not helping out and reaffirms his allegiance to Ultra-Humanite by smashing a tank. The Monocle and Ragdoll get some kind of mental summons, and the trio takes off to rejoin their boss, though if Monocle refers to the to her as their master one more time, Amazing Man is likely to beat the hell out of him. Elsewhere, Tubby Watts visits Johnny Chambers in the hospital. After, an offer, after offering to take nude pictures of the nurse... Uh, okay, he says he'll just shoot <laughs> footage of her for his newsreel, but come on, you know how that's gonna go. No, seriously, hike up the dress a little more. Well, Johnny is naked, too. He yeah. mentions that in the story. <laughs> oh, wow. That's going to be an interesting video. <laughs> That's going to be on YouTube tomorrow. Um, <laughs> but the nurse leaves, and to- and Tubby, hate calling him that, Foggy Nelson, gives Johnny his spare Johnny Quick outfit. Suddenly, the Brainwave Jr., the one that fought the tarantula, shows up, and after a little bit of who-the-hell-are-you banter, introduces himself as Brainwave Jr., the son of Brainwave Sr., proving even that dome-headed geeks can get some. Probably happened at Dragon Con. After managing to convince Johnny to at least let him come along to help stop Ultra, Brainwave and Johnny head back to the Parisphere, where they meet up with the Guardian, Robin, Phantom Lady, Wildcat, and the Flash. After Phantom Lady shows off some of her new powers, The Flash has Brainwave Brainwave introduce the six members of Infinity Incorporated. Flash, Johnny Quick, and Guardian start peppering Brainwave with questions, so he just can't take it. So they back off at Flash's suggestion and allow Brainwave to say his piece. He starts by explaining that after he woke up, that w- that he woke up after Tarantula's housekeeper had beamed him on the head, and he heard about the fake outs appearing, uh, the fade outs, excuse me, uh, happening all over the country. But apparently, because he wasn't going fast enough, the heroes start pestering him for more information. Finally, after an argument about time travel, which should have never happened, because Flash started the fucking scene by saying, "I just got back from time traveling." Brainwave starts his story, which begins at the end of the very awesome Justice League of America, number 195 to 197, which you can hear about in episode 26 of this very show. Where Ultra Humanite is thrown into limbo with the rest of the secret society of supervillains. There they meet up with Vulcan, a.k.a. Captain Jeffrey Pike, 
who the modern quote-unquote JSA fought in All-Star Comics number 61. And you can hear us talk about that issue and the one that came out before it all the way back in episodes four and five. And they, um, Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Vulcan offers very little in the way of explanation on how the hell he got there, outside of saying, the blast just hurled me here. Ultra is pretty sure that he can get them out of this mess, and with the mental help of Brainwave, makes contact with the 1942 Ultra Humanite. We get a recap of everything that has happened for the past six issues, adding that the hot chick version of Ultra would sit for hours at a time at her console, seemingly lost in thought. In reality, she was reading Harlequin romance novels. <laughs> in reality, she was getting help from Brainwave Senior and the Ape Ultra to take mental control of the si- of six members of Infinity Incorporated. The next time I sit around just spacing out and somebody asks me what I'm doing, I'm going to tell them that I'm talking to a future ape version of myself just to <laughs> see what reaction I get. And then they'll see you without your shirt and going, future. <laughs> And I say that as somebody who is slowly turning into a mountain gorilla myself. Um, they lure the Infinitors to Mount St. Helens, which apparently didn't erupt in... Wasn't it in 1980 that Mount St. Helens erupted? I'm not sure what year it was, but I actually have a note about that in the, in the notes section. Uh, like it did on Earth-1, and trapped them in a primitive time travel device, which brought them to 1942... Where they they uh, that where Brainwave put a mental whammy on them to make them think that the USA was the were the aggressors in World War II. Apparently, the Ultra of 1942 was laughing at the true identities of the Infinitors, but she wouldn't tell her minions. And Brainwave Junior won't, won't reveal it to the All Stars because of time paradoxes. But in a thought balloon, we learn that the six heroes of 1983 are the sons, daughters. Godchildren, wards, best friends, former roommates of the original JSA. The conversation breaks down from here, and it seems to me like the All-Stars have figured out that the ultimate plan. But all I get out of this, folks, is that the Ultra of 1983 really wants out of limbo. And the Ultra of 1942 doesn't want the Ultra of 1983 to come to 1942 because it would throw her into a coma because two people can't be in the same time zone at the same time. It really doesn't go into the plan at all. So um, so the All-Stars and Brainwave Jr. rush off to face against Alter and crew. After they leave, the Infinidors regain consciousness thanks to Jave and Obsidian. They are pissed at being manipulated like they were the Squadron Supreme or something and rush off to kick some ass. Ultra, 1942 model, is all like, bring it on! Because she is convinced that his, her brain is going to be in Robot Man's body. To be continued... An All-Star Squadron Annual number two. And notes, historical notes, which come to us via the All-Star Companion Volume 2. I almost read the synopsis. That was bad. <laughs> uh, the Guardians, Young Buddies, the Newsboy Legion make another brief came- uh, cameo and run away because they're afraid, which I don't blame them. Brainwave Jr. makes an oblique reference to the time when the Trilon and Perisphere are no longer standing. But does he mean that they'll be eventually melted down for scrap, as they were in our world, or to their uh, destruction, albeit in Civic City, seen in All-Star Comics number 51 in 1950? Phantom Lady reveals that her blacklight ray can now make her invisible, a power she didn't have in 1940s quality comics. A thought balloon from Brainwave Jr. reveals for the first time that the other six members of Infinity Incorporated are the sons, the daughters, the more or less adopted wards of the JSA in 1983. A comment from Jr. that the simple plots are all that 
the simple plots are all in the comic books is a bit ironic considering both this storyline and that of Crisis of Earth Prime. <laughs> the Letters Pages announces that after Annual number 2, debuting two weeks after number 26, Jerry Ordway, then scheduled to ink not Pencil Infinity Incorporated, would be uh, leaving All-Star Squadron to draw as, w- as well an upcoming six-issue Justice Society of America miniseries. These plans didn't materialize quite as planned. The, LP- the letters page says that Jap- Japan's reputed Black Dragon Society seems to have been wholly fic- fictitious. Roy Thomas made this erroneous statement before further research made him aware that it had indeed existed, which was mi- which was mythical. What was mythical was merely its rumored involvement in the sabotage in the U.S. Also launched in the LP was a poll in which readers were asked if they liked to see All Star Comics number twelve fully adapted in All Star Squadron or just be recounted to a several-panel flashback. Do you know what the results of that poll end up being? Because I don't remember. I have no idea. I don't remember. (laughs) I'm sorry. No, you're fine. You remember a hell of a lot more about all this stuff than than I do, which is going to be another one of my notes here in a minute. (laughs) But, um, yeah, that's pretty much it. So what do you got? Well... I uh, re- reread this issue today, and while I was reading it, I was listening to the score, the uh, awesome score, by the way, to Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. And it was funny because as soon as the uh, the main title track finished, and you know, there's a little silence before the next track, I was expecting it to kick in, kick into the da 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 the band music that you know so it was really funny it's just funny how your mind comes to expect you know uh, it was that was so funny because i haven't listened to that soundtrack in quite a while and uh, and it really is a good one it's it's pretty solid uh again great cover on this i really really do like this cover i agree that the bottom the stripe thing at the bottom kind of throws it off a little bit but uh yeah it's a fantastic cover because you know i always like you know, oddball mishmash teams. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it doesn't get much more mishmash than than this grouping on the cover here. So that's pretty neat. Um, page one. <laughs> I really like. Uh, it starts off in uh, Batman, who has grabbed Fury, is saying, "Tarantula, you're starting to disappear." And Tarantula, who has grabbed Northwind, says, "Holy cow!" And I thought it was you. Batman says, "It's our grabbing this uh, pair that did it somehow." <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as if they're both some sort of booby trap ultra scent. And Tarantula says, and we're the prize boobies. And I'm just thinking, you know, Phantom Ladies through this entire episode. So <laughs> we've got prize boobies all around in this one. Boobs. Yeah, it's a juvenile joke, but hey, you know. I like to play to the lowest common denominator. Anyway, moving along. Well, most most people, most men at least, most heterosexual men at least, no matter what the age, you say boobies, they'll giggle. Yep. I'm all about the all about the boobies. Page two, ah, the mist. I love this guy. I love him almost as much as I hate Vulcan. So it was pretty cool when the two of them returned. Well, I don't really hate Vulcan. He's just pretty damn silly. He is pretty damn goofy. And I had totally forgotten about the Christopher Pike thing. So that was pretty funny. I got a kick out of it. Or was that his name? Was it oh, Christopher I called him Pike? Jeffrey Pike because I was thinking Jeffrey Hunter. Mm. But his name was Christopher, Christopher Pike. Christopher Pike, yeah. So yeah. I was kind of right. 
No, I, I I had totally forgotten that. So if it had been Jeffrey Pike, I, I would have, you know, I would have totally gone along with it. But yeah, I misspoke myself, Christopher Pike. But then I think that is actually right. Yep. I think it was a total homage to uh, to Captain Pike from Star Trek. Even though Jerry Conway denies this. Oh, does he really? Yeah, I asked him about it. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, but come on. The character's name is Vulcan. His Captain Christopher Pike. Yeah, exactly. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> I dig the art in this whole book. I love the shading. I, I really love the action sequences. It's very, very good. I like the use of Phantom Lady. Beyond the fact that, you know, she's a she's a busty chick showing a whole hell of a lot of cleavage. I just like her. I think she's an interesting character and she she's used to great effect here, so that's pretty cool. I like Robin a lot, so it was neat to see Robin. I, I like the classic fairy boots Robin. Um, I don't really care for the way his face is drawn here, but the whole rest of it I like, so I can forgive any any shortcomings with that. Um, I love on page six <laughs> where uh, I'm trying to remember what's. Oh, okay, so. We've got the heroes latch on to Nuclon and the Silver Scarab, and they they fade out. And Brainwave and the Psycho Pirate fade in, and they start to fall to the ground. And Brainwave says, I'll be fine, Psycho Pirate, since I can mentally lower the Silver Scarab and myself to the deck. And the Guardian steps up and says, I'll lower you to the deck, buddy, if you don't bring back Steel and Bell. And I just like that. I, I you know That's a good line, I think. I'll lower you to the deck. I thought that was funny. Um, I wonder if anybody else would be confused by this thing with the two brainwaves, because I remembered for, you know, it's a pretty rare instance, but I actually remembered where we left off in the last issue and what ha- was happening and everything. It probably helped because I just listened to, uh, last, you know, the, which one was it? No, it wasn't last episode. I think it was the episode before. Anyway, the thing with Brainwave being conked by the yeah. by Olga and all that. I had just listened to that like within the past couple of days. So I remembered that, you know, Brainwave Jr. was back and he was, you know, doing the whole I've got to stop whatever's destined to happen thing. So when he mysteriously popped in in this sequence, I'm like, oh, all right, was he pulled from wherever he was at, like in a taxi or something headed somewhere with Tarantula? What? Why is he suddenly popping in like this? And I, I felt like this was one of the, the few um, instances in the story where the storytelling was just a little bit wacky because it wasn't readily apparent, at least not to me, that this was a completely different brainwave. It wasn't. Uh, I, have, I have a similar note. Oh, OK. Yeah, I agree with you completely. Uh, let's see. Page eight. I just love that first panel where where uh, Amazing Man assumes the power of I don't know steel or something, and just with one swift blow, it's like a two fisted Kirk blow. He smashes this tank and it's just like shattering to pieces. I like that. That's really cool and uh, and it really shows his his strength level. You, so I'm you know, po- it's a, a Kirk blow because it comes from the lower. If it was over his shoulders, it would be an Incredible Hulk blow. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just I hope that this power level remains consistent later on. We'll we'll have to make note of that whether it does or not because that that's a hell of a feat to just you know take out a tank with one you know one swift blow like that. It's nice to see the uh, the monocle and uh, ragdoll again too. I actually like those guys. They're they're wacky and I have a I have an affinity for wacky villains. And the monocle, come on, you don't get much wackier than the monocle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's see. 
pages 11, no, I'm sorry, excuse me, page 11, panels one and two. Is it just me or does uh, Brainwave Jr.'s explanation of what's going on seem like it just suddenly fast forwards like 15 minutes into the conversation? Yeah. Because he's talking about, yeah, you know, he, he doesn't like to be called Junior. And he says, uh, somebody, I'm assuming it's Johnny Quick, says, you prefer Junior? He says, only if you want me to demonstrate one of my blame, brain blasts on your jaw. He says, look, I know how crazy this all sounds. It came from 1983 and all that. But what matters is we've got to work together if we're going to stop the ultra humanite. And Johnny Quick says, what do you know about ultra? He, she doesn't, uh, sure doesn't come from the future. So... We're we're led to believe that just because Brainwave Jr. says this thing about, you know, it came from 1983, that Johnny instantly uh, realizes that he's saying that he's from the future. Because prior to that point, Brainwave Jr. does not come right out and say, hey, uh, I'm from the future. I'm here to stop the ultra. It, it's just it's kind of awkward in this moment that Johnny just readily accepts this and realizes exactly what the guy is talking about with, without him coming right out and saying, Hey, I'm from the future. Did you catch that too? Yeah, I was, I was very confused by that. As a matter of fact, I was just like, in fact, it was, it was kind of like at the end where he's explaining ultra's plan, but he doesn't really explain anything, and they're all like, "Okay, let's go." And it's just like, "What the hell is going on?" Right? Yeah. It. it I like that it moves along, but mm-hmm. in certain aspects, it feels like maybe it's moving a little too fast because they're skipping over things. And again, there, there's a couple moments in this where I feel like certain characters know too much. Yeah. Um. I I didn't make a note of it because I didn't feel like going back and and really pouring through and try to make sure that you know i was right on this but there was a part where i think it was robin yeah it was way back on page two where robin said something about the people that they were battling and he knew the names of the infinitors and i was kind of like are you sure that they all said their names because i'm not sure that that happened yeah so it was one of those things where again you know characters in a in a further issue having more knowledge than I think that they were actually supposed to have, you know, if you go strictly by what was printed on the, on the page, you know what I mean? Yes. Anyway, um, I like the little gag at the bottom of uh, page 11 where Johnny quick is running so fast. He actually takes to the air because, you know, this is the part where he was learning how to fly and a cop has got Peter Parker pulled over and, and, uh, he's going, and you claim I was speeding. I thought that was funny. That does look like Peter Parker. Doesn't it? It looks like classic uh, Steve Ditko, Peter Parker with the round glasses and all that. Now, on page 12, Brainwave Jr. uh, says uh, something about the Paris. Oh, he says, uh, man, I sure never thought I'd see the Triline and Parisphere really standing. And Johnny Quick says, uh, huh, you mean they're going to be melted down for scrap? And then he, you know, they go on with their conversation. And wouldn't you kind of think that maybe the Trilon and Perisphere might end up being preserved in the future? You know, because I would think so. Yeah. You know, this, you know, the home, you know, the headquarters are, you know, you know, it, it could become like a touristy thing, you know, something like that, because the JSA in the future becomes kind of a big deal in the in the DC universe. You know, they're they're the, the first super team and all that. So I don't know. It seems kind of odd if it if it does end up you know, going the way of, of the one, you know, the real ones. Um, 
I love this last panel on page 12 too. Again, you know, just, I, I have a, I, I just love mishmash teams and it's great. You've got all these very diverse characters all coming together in the, in the one panel. I, I like how the flash is just sitting there all casually as everybody, you know, as, as they're waiting for these guys to show up, they're all posed, which is funny. You know, it's like, what were they doing until these guys walked in they, they were just standing there striking their poses. Um, I also like how Brainwave Jr. spoils ahead on the fate of Electro. You know, he's he's looking around and he's dumbstruck by all this because to him this is all you know history. And he say you know, he says uh, five more heroes and their robot butler to boot. You know, and we haven't seen that yet. You know, the last we've seen was uh, Commander Steel working on Electro. So now we know, you know, that Electro is is. Uh, destined to become their robot butler. I, I thought that was kind of cool. You know, it's it's tipped off to us, the readers, without being tipped off to the characters in the story. I thought that was cool. Page 14, I like that it's the Flash who isn't so quick-tempered. Everybody else, you know, is ready to just tear Brainwave Jr. a new one. You know, the, they're really accusatory and and not willing to buy his story and... <laughs> Guardian's ready to just charge in and belt the guy. You know, he says, maybe we ought to uh, shake the answers out of him, Wildcat. But it's the Flash that steps up and says, no, you know, let's give him a chance to gather his thoughts first. I kind of like that. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, exactly. Slow down. <laughs> um, nice shooting, Tex. Yeah, that's what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> Page 15, uh, panel one, I like that uh, Phantom Lady makes a reference to uh, Brick Bradford, who is a, a comic strip character. Um, I'd heard of the character without really knowing much about it, so I was looking something up today. And it turns out that that character um, would be published up until April of 1987. I was like, wow. man, really? I mean, that character. Well, actually, I'm, I'm never surprised that by that anymore because I, I constantly am hearing... Like this cartoon strip, uh, you know, was begun in 1929, and I'm like, ah, it was probably petered out in like the 60s or 70s, and it was just canceled last year. Right. <laughs> it's like when Little Orphan Annie was canceled a couple months ago. My first thought was, wait a second, really? That was still going on? <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I never really paid much attention to uh, to strips, you know, beyond you know. Like peanuts or one or two other of the of the funny strips, and then like when Star Wars was in the paper, and that was about it. I never really, you know, I never read like the Phantom or any of that stuff. So you yeah, hear something funny about Little Orphan Annie. What's that? She was like fighting terrorists. <laughs> really? She, she apparently was a very right wing character. Hmm. That's cool. So it's like, wow, really? Okay, <laughs> that doesn't line up with the. Well, it does line up. With the uh, Daddy Warbucks of the film, played by Albert Finney, who was just pissed off that he had to deal with Roosevelt. <laughs> Page uh, 16, we get two, two, two alternate humanites in one. I like that. I like that we got the the ape ultra-humanite and the foxy lady ultra-humanite. I mean, how would you think... What would, what would it do to you if your future self from 40 years from now contacted you back through time and you were like, wait a minute, I'm a goddamn monkey in the future? <laughs> Wouldn't that just kind of flip you out? It, it would definitely be a blow to my self-esteem at the very least, I think. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, once Brainwave Jr. starts laying out the whole story here in flashback about... Uh, you know, about this very thing about the ape ultra humanite reaching back through time, contacting his former hot self and all this and, and everything that's going on. It suddenly hit me. <laughs> wow. I really don't remember any of this shit at all. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. It's it's almost like reading it, again, you know, reading it for the first time, because this was uh, this was obviously not one of the issues I, I had when I was a kid. This must be one I, I tracked down years later and probably probably only read it once because I think as far as a full read through of the entire series, I, I think I actually have only read the series just the one time. So some issues stand out better than others because there were some that I had, you know, from the day they came out. And then there were others I had to track down, you know, years and years later as an as an older collector. And this has got to be one of those issues because I had totally forgotten where in the world this story was going. Um, but I like it. I, I really enjoy the the whole time travel thing. It's just it's funny that we're getting another time travel story seemingly so close on the heels of the last time travel story. But so far, I'm digging it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, page 18, you mentioned uh, Mount St. Helens. I remember Mount St. Helens. I don't remember exactly when it uh, happened and all that, but I know I was uh, – pretty sure i was in middle school or maybe early high school and i'm pretty sure that chris uh, my co-host on two true freaks chris honeywell pretty sure he had some ash from it because it seems to me he went to visit family in washington state at that time and then he came back with like a it was like a vial of ash or something that he had gotten there something like that but you know uh, march 20th 1980 yeah Okay, so yeah, that that was right. I would be I would have been in middle school then. And then That's on right. May eighteenth, with little warning, a second earthquake of magnitude five point one triggered a massive collapse of the north face of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep, I do remember that. That was a big news story that year. Oh yes, uh, I remember HBO showing the movie about it, like a year later. They made some kind of movie about. Oh really? Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> I like. Uh, <laughs> Page 23. <laughs> it's just completely silly here. Where they're all, de- you know, the Infinitors are awake again and they're all deciding, all right, we've got to go to Mount St. Helens and <laughs> Northwind. Who, I'm sorry, I'm going to spoil ahead on this. I think Northwind sucks. He says, my Migra powers. <laughs> what? <laughs> we get us there fast. And I was like, <laughs> Migra powers. So I hear your big power is you migrate. Awesome, dude. You rock. <laughs> it's just completely silly. Um, that was about it. I had until we get to uh, the letters column. We can cover that together if uh, if you want to. I just had a couple of, of things from the actual letters column, but. Good issue. I enjoyed it quite a bit. I, again, I thought the art was fantastic, and I like where the story's going. And I like getting two Ultra Humanites for 60 cents. That's pretty awesome. Alrighty, for me, um, <laughs> I, I laughed at the boobies thing, too. <laughs> so I, I can't help it. And turn the page, I saw Vulcan. I'm like, oh, yeah, Vulcan, him. I remember covering him. It wasn't a very good story. Nope. Um, the mist creeps me out by going, I call dibs on Robin. 
Okay. Um, yeah, very good there. Yeah, you... Uh, I'm going to go over here now. <laughs> because you're... He likes boys. Um, where is this? On page three, Phantom Lady says, Sounds like you boys need some togetherness training. And I'm assuming that's like some kind of official thing that happened around this time. I could find nothing on it. <laughs> so, uh, but I tried. I, I really, I really did try. Uh, page four, the mist is much more impressive in mist form because that purple outfit he's wearing sucks. Yeah. That's ugly. Uh, I like we got Annie the Riveter. Seeing, yeah, when I saw Brainwave on page six, I'm like, so he hooks up with Psycho Pirate and is pretending to be a bad guy? Yeah, I, I was really confused. <sighs> that wasn't very clear. Uh, Jade continues to have longer hair in this. I know later they would make her hair very short. I think she looks better with longer hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monocle, like you said, is awesome. Ragdoll, after reading James Robinson's Starman, continuously creeps me out. Yep. No matter what era. It's like, oh, God, you're... Crazy. Um, Tubby continues to look like Foggy Nelson. Have you read any uh, Secret Six? Uh, I, I read Villains United. I read the Secret Six miniseries, and I read like the first couple issues of the ongoing. It is the it, the character that's one of the six in that? Isn't he the son of Ragdoll? If yes. I remember, yeah. Okay, yeah. He's a creepy character. Yes. Yes, he is. Uh. I agree with you about page 11 where Brainwave just kind of jumps in the conversation. It's like, yeah. I also agree with you that it does look like everyone's posing. It's kind of weird that we were on the same <laughs> wavelength there. Uh, Phantom Lady is kind of like got her legs crossed on that. Robin is seriously about to start pitching a tent. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially on page 13 when Phantom Lady is describing or explaining how she got out of what she got out of. And it says, uh, but I guess you could, you should be one to tell us about that. And all I want is some animation, some very light animation of him saying that. And then his head slowly, slightly going towards more eye level with him. Because <laughs> her boobs are right in his face. Mm-hmm. I love the Flash in this scene. Anytime the Flash shows up in All-Star Squadron is great. Because he doesn't show up enough to become really known. So it's always like a big occasion right. when he's there. Uh, and also it has to do when I first started reading All-Star Squadron was also when I was really getting into Mark Waid's run on The Flash and Jay Garrick was a big deal there too. So page 15, uh, Phantom Lady says, time travel, isn't that just science fiction? Which I thought was cool because that's what science fiction used to be called. Just like in Brick Bradford. Uh, Phantom Lady, I refer you to, where is that? Page 13, where you're standing <laughs> right next to the Flash, and he says, and I quote, I just returned from a time travel stint. Right. He says that to her, too. He says, like I said, Phantom Lady, because that's yeah. how I read it. <laughs> yeah. You silly bitch, I just said that. No, what I get is is that she says that, and he just looks back at her and goes, like I said. <laughs> right. <laughs> Phantom Lady. If that is your real name. <laughs> um, the Guardian is kind of badass without this whole thing. I'm going to kick your ass right now. You and I are going. <laughs> Takes off the gloves. Let's go. Come on. I'll drop this shield on the ground. Kick your ginger ass all over this perisphere. 
I just realized that at the bottom of page 15, Superman is actually like rolling his fist like, yeah. like Popeye would do. Yeah, before he belts the algae. That's great. Then why is Batman pun? Oh, Batman's tearing wires out on page on the next panel. Okay, I was confused for a second. Do you like the sound effect on the next panel? Whammo! Yep. But I like that Roy Thomas tied this story into that Secret Society of Supervillains. Yes, story. we both loved that story. Yep. We talked about that story for I think like six hours. <laughs> I, I vividly remember us recording that episode, too, because we were both so damn excited to get to it. Well, that was the thing is I, I was reading this and, I, and I, when I got to that to the bottom of page 15 and realized, oh, wait a minute, this is covering that story. And I was like, oh, God, please tell me that we did an episode on that. And I got to thinking, yeah, we did that. Oh, wait a minute. Did we do that? Yeah, we did. That. No, did we do that? So I went back to our website. And I'm pouring through back up, you know, episodes and I couldn't find reference to it. And I was like, damn, we haven't done that story. And then I finally did find it. Like you say, it was number, what did you say, 26? 26. Yeah. So, yeah, I did eventually. Because we tackled several stories in that one episode. It wasn't just that one crossover. We we had done two or three, I think, in that one. Because the, the couple prior to that weren't very good. Yeah, they sucked. And we were really happy to get to the, no, the one before that was the New Gods one. And I think we tore that one apart. Yeah, that one was, it was all right. It had moments that were okay, but there, there was the one that was uh, the JLA, the JSA, and the Legion, which should, god damn it, that should be yes. mega oh, awesome, you know? I it, remember us talking about that and being very, very disappointed. I mean, it, it's, you know, and not only is it those three teams, but then it had Mordrew, and mm-hmm. it had... Uh, uh, what, Abnegazer, Wraith, and Gas. Wraith and Gas. I love those guys. So, I mean, you've got great villains. You've got three of the best super hero teams that exist. And it sucked. And I was like, how is this? How do you, you know, top that? You know who oh. we need to give that to? Dick Dillon. Because he'll do a bang-up job with it. Yeah. That, that was a lot of the problem with that, too. Was yeah. The- all right, guys. We're having a company Christmas party. We're going to pull out all the stops. You know, we're going to have a great band. And we're going to have, you know, it's going to be at this giant place. And oh, by the way, McDonald's is catering. (laughs) (laughs) Yep, that's pretty, that pretty much so. Page 17, I really like the art effect on the bottom of the page where the Infinitors are standing on the year 1983. Yeah. Uh, the artwork in this issue, I'm going to agree with you completely. The artwork in this issue is great. The coloring, at least in my copy, is really wonky at times. Yes. Yep. Uh, I'm about to come to that. Um, I love this. Uh, we, and it, and it kind of proves that Infinity Incorporated is still a little green behind the gills. Who is it? Where, where is that line? I'm sorry. I, I didn't have it written down. Oh, it's on it's on page 19. If this is a trap, we'll fight our way out. Right. And you're her leader. Good going there. Uh, I do like the fact that a time travel device was left in the ground until 1983 so that it could travel back to where it was left in the ground in the first place. Yep. That's kind of funky. Um, I like the fact on page 19 that Cyclotron 
is really upset at how young the Infinity Incorporated team members are. Yeah. It's like, for God's sakes, don't. They're hardly more than kids. And, you know, Deathbolt just wants to be a douchebag. I'll give him a hot foot. I'll dream and it's like, <laughs> fools, both of you. I didn't bring them, them so far just to kill them. And it really should have occurred to Cyclotron that, yeah, why would you go to all that trouble to bring them back just to kill them? <laughs> right. If you were just going to kill them, you would have caused the thing to explode when they walked into it. Um, page 20, I love Ultra Humanite, the top panel, laughing like, I know something you don't know. Mm-hmm. And it is the coloring on that bottom panel. This should be an epic shot of Infinity Incorporated. And it just looks off. Well, yeah, it's the it's too dark. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, 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 it not only is the coloring kind of muted and all, but then with them coming out of a purple circle, yeah. like if it was, I don't know, a different color. Like, I think what it should be is the, the circle should be white mm-hmm. and the background should be a different color, like maybe, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know, like a light blue or something like that. But with it being purple, I don't know, it just it, it's too dark. It kind of muddies up what otherwise would be a pretty spectacular panel. Maybe, I mean, maybe we'll get lucky and maybe we'll see this stuff reprinted one day where, where it'll be recolored. You know, that would help a lot. Well, yeah, I, I, I actually really hope that. Um, I'm like you. I really like this team that's mm-hmm. going after them. It's, it's, it's why All-Star Squadron is awesome. It's because while you have the regular team members, you can throw in these people. And this is this is a weird fan fiction team. It's like I'm gonna do a JSA, but it's gonna have Robin and Wildcat and Flash and Phantom Lady. It's like yes, I love stuff like this because oh, you know a, a book that took a lot of flack years ago, you know, and and, and is kind of laughed at today was uh, something like say Secret Defenders, which I always imagined was just somebody you know had made a list of like every character in a given universe tore up all the strips of paper threw them in a hat and would pull out six randomly and then make a story out of it i actually kind of like that idea i think that's neat too you know i think you can you know if you're a good enough writer you can do something interesting with you know pulling just random names out of a hat and that's almost how this story feels is like, all right, let's just pull out, okay, six Golden Age heroes and write a story. And it's like, damn, it works. I, I like this, you know? Because, you know, when when else are you ever going to see Phantom Lady and Robin together, you know? I like that. Page 23, as nice as it was seeing Superman doing his Popeye impression earlier in the <laughs> flashback, I'm so pissed that he's still laying on that goddamn table. <laughs> Listening to an audiobook. <laughs> but it's like the... Uh, the audiobook for, like, you know, the horse whisper. <laughs> and then he walked into the barn. The colt was a chocolate brown. The woman looks at him. Can you fix him? And he says, I fix horses, lady, not people. <laughs> Chapter five. That's my really boring voice, by the way. <laughs> I could I could read, like, our, our very first poll. <laughs> the past few regular issues of the comics have referred to the looming battle between the Justice Society with the mysterious and deadly Black Dragon Society. <laughs> and then somebody now we're going to get letters. <laughs> I, just, I crashed my car, you douchebag. <laughs> we're going to get um, letters from every female listener that go, can Mike do that voice some more? <laughs> hey, ladies. <laughs> How you... 
I got some Colt 45 in the fridge. <laughs> and some Barry White on the MP3 player. Oh yeah. Now, speaking do you, of... Do you want some Tranya? <laughs> speaking of the letters column here, um, what the hell are these projects that Thomas is referring to here? Um, he only kind of sort of touched on it in the companion, but there were two of them I, that were mentioned. I bet you anything the JSA miniseries turns into America versus the Justice that's, Society yeah, of America. That's what I was thinking. Uh, he also mentioned something about... Uh, ah, damn it. Where is it here? Something about a graphic novel that Ordway was working on. Damn it. Where is it? I can't find it here. Well, in addition to a graphic novel project, he and I yep. have lined up for Dynamic DC. I have no... You know what? I'd really like to ask him if that's what Infinity Incorporated was supposed to be originally. Just a graphic novel? Yeah, kind of like New Mutants. Oh, I got you. Yeah, yeah, okay. I can see that. Um, yeah, because wouldn't New Mutants would have been right around this time, so I wonder yes. if they were kind of aping Marvel in that concept of kick... kick uh, Infinity Inc. off with a graphic novel. Yeah. Well, and, and think about it, too. It's like, you know, Marvel had X-Men, which was insanely popular. At least at this time, insanely popular amongst the comics community. Right. It wasn't like the the establishment it would become in the 90s with the cartoon and everything. Right. Where, you know, kids were getting to experience it in cartoon form and then go to the comics. So DC puts out New Teen Titans, and it becomes amazingly popular. And I always felt that New Teen Titans and X-Men were kind of on, were contemporaries in every sense of the word in that they were the two popular young team member books. Right. Uh, and the writing styles were not similar in that you could exchange writers and it wouldn't matter, but just in the soap opera, soap opera-ish-ness. That's what I wanted to say. Of the two worlds. So then they introduced New Mutants in 1982. And it's like, well, damn, we need our own new young person team. And I think Infinity Incorporated, and, and I didn't live through this time. Well, I lived through this time. I was alive, but I didn't collect comics at this time. But it seems to me in reading Infinity Incorporated that it was very much treated within the book as this is a team of young heroes. Please read us because you like it over at Marvel. Now read it at DC. You know, I, it's amazing. I never, ever made that connection before, but I think you're onto something. I, I totally think you're onto something that, you know, it, it's, it's been written about and admitted, you know, by, by those that were around at DC at the time that they were desperate to grow their, uh, you know, to create a franchise that was basically DC's X-Men, but then also be able to grow it into a true franchise with more than one book. And Teen Titans, while it was basically DC's answer to X-Men, or at least, you know, the the title that they could put out there in the forefront, like Marvel had X-Men, there was only so, mu so many places you could go because at that time, those characters themselves were still kids. So you couldn't yeah. really spin a New Mutants-style title out of Teen Titans because they were all teens. You know, years later, they would. You know, they would do uh, Team Titans and stuff like that. But at this time, yeah, so... The only place you really could go would uh, would be something like this because Justice League you couldn't really spin anything out of that because that's what Teen Titans were. You were already using all the the, the yeah. sidekicks and and that sort of you know kid brothers and that sort of thing. So you would have to go with something like 
you know, JSA that could be, you know, the kids of. So, yeah, yeah it's I, I like your theory. I, I will subscribe. <laughs> well, it's all in my manifesto. <laughs> um, anything else on the letters page? Yeah, uh, it mentions here that we are going to be losing Jerry Ordway. Very, very sad. However, we, according to this anyway, will be gaining... Rick Hoberg. Now, I like Rick Hoberg. I like Rick Hoberg a whole lot. However, I took a, a little peek ahead, and that's not going to happen for a while. We we get yeah. some filler stuff before we get to Rick Hoberg, so I'll save that for when that actually comes along. But I'm excited about that. I, I'm very excited about that. It sucks that we'll be losing Ordway, but then Ordway does end up eventually coming back at least for a little while, right? Right around Crisis, I believe, right? Uh, no. Or is that just covers? He's just doing that. He does the covers for for a long time in the late 20s and early 30s of this book. But he goes on to Infinity Incorporated. And after Infinity Incorporated, I think he jumps right into inking Crisis. Yeah. So, yeah. We're going to have they were so late on Crisis. And he, and if I'm remembering interviews I've heard of his, he was having kind of a rough time with DC at this time or in a couple years from this. Mm-hmm. Because you know he really wanted his own book, right? And you know that's why he he eventually would take some work from Marvel because they were offering him that. And then he comes, then DC's like, "We need you to come ink Crisis on Infinite Earths." And I think if I'm remembering correctly, he's like, "Well, would you give me? You know, I'm I'm here. I'm doing good. No, we'll, we'll give you a book. Come on, help us." So where did he go at Marvel? He inked. Oh, he went Burn. to FF. That's right. Oh, yeah, he inked Burn at FF. Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah, as soon so. as I said that, I remembered that, yeah, toward the, the tail end of Byrne's run on FF, he, he came in for that stuff. And I will say this. I like Jerry Ordway, and I like John Byrne. Not quite sure I like jo- Jerry Ordway inking John See, Byrne. I was going to say something, and then I, I, I was really, you know, because I know that you're a really, not only a huge fan of the guy, but I know that you're, you're uh, you know, I, I guess at this point I could call you guys friends. Yeah, well, um, we're you, friendly at least. Right. So, you know, I, I didn't want to seem uh, whatever, but yeah, you know, I feel the same way because that stuff towards the end of Burns' run on that, I always, I always feel like Burns' run on FF, as glorious as it was, that it kind of petered out. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons I feel that way is the art definitely took a step down toward the very end of his run on it. But I think the stories did as well, to be honest, but definitely I, I felt like the art wasn't as strong. And part of that was... Ordway's inking on Byrne. So it's funny you say that because I, I agree with you completely. Love John Byrne, yeah. love Jerry Ordway. You put yeah. the two together, not a real good combination. But they're two very disparate styles, too. That's that's kind yeah. of the problem. Yeah, see, I can be a fan of somebody, even if, even if I know them somewhat personally, and still be like, eh, it wasn't his best work. So right. never be afraid to say, I don't like this uh, for fear of me, you know, like getting my feelings hurt or whatever. Cause right. I, cause it, I just won't cause God knows I'm going to step all over your stuff sometimes inadvertently. So. <laughs> I and you do a- it all the time. dickhead. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just cause your tears are mother's milk to me. It's so bitch. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> going to keep that up for a long <laughs> But uh, where do we want to go from here? Do we want we to got coach? ads? We got some pretty oh, decent ads right. too. That's... Got a Cubert ad. <laughs> like We've it. both talked about Cubert. I always imagine he's saying a really, really nasty, filthy word. Fuck. <laughs> 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 that 
that's the word. <laughs> Let's see what else we got. Oh, yeah. Kool-Aid. Yeah, we got Kool-Aid Man. I have heard you talk about this on three different episodes of Two True Freaks. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, hmm, should I say something about this? No. You had this game. Uh, yeah, I did. I actually had this game. I had... What's funny is the the two that are pictured here, I don't think either one was the package to the one that I had. I had the Atari version. Yeah, because that looks like the Intellivision version yeah. on top and then the M Network one on the bottom. I do remember him smashing through a brick wall at the beginning of the game, but most every other ad you see for this particular game shows graphics for the Intellivision version and the version I had was completely different, but it was actually it was a lot of fun. You had uh, the thirst. You had this big. It, we always called it a, a swimming pool because that's what it looked like. It looked like a swimming pool that was supposed to be full of Kool Aid, and the thirsties would come in and they would lower straws. And they were all at various levels on the on the screen, and they would lower straws into the pool of Kool Aid, and they would start sucking the Kool Aid out. So it was a game you're playing it the whole time, and it's going. <laughs> And you were Kool-Aid man and you had to go around the board and I forget how you killed them, but you had to kill the the thirsties before they sucked the pool of Kool-Aid dry. It sounds ridiculous, but it was actually it was a great time killer, you know, it was a lot of fun. I like in this thirty Kool-Aid proof of purchase points. One hundred and twenty five good lord. Oh, you could do one hundred and twenty five Kool-Aid proof of purchase points or thirty Kool-Aid points and ten dollars. Right. I know I got the game absolutely for free, so I guess I drank just yeah. a load of Kool-Aid and sent all, all the points we in. Into, well, it's so cheap, and you can drink like three three pitchers of it in a day. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's still like, it's 33 cents now. I would imagine in the 80s it was like 10 cents. I want to so. say it was like, it was either three or seven cents for a packet of Kool-Aid back then. I forget exactly, but it was less than 10 cents, definitely. But you can check Cartridge Desired in television or Atari 2600. <laughs> we have on the next page, and I like this ad, mm-hmm. uh, Return of the Jedi model kits. Yeah. Where we have a Imperial shuttle, a speeder, one of my favorite toys. See, it's all the new ships. It's all the new ships that were introduced in the in the new movie. What is the one all the way in the back? That's a B-wing. Okay, I've never. I, I for some reason I always blank on that one. I love that Tie Fighter. Yeah, the Tie Interceptor is yes. my favorite version of a of a Tie ship. Is the Tie Interceptor? And that's a speeder on the bottom. I'm assuming. The uh, white one. That's a A-wing. I suck tonight. <laughs> well, by the time they started doing letters beyond X and Y for the fighters, they they start to get a little bit weird as far as, uh, okay, I don't see exactly where you're pulling that letter of the alphabet from, but I'll, I'll go with it, you know? You know, the A-Wing reminds me of the shuttles in Episode 1. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a lot, actually. So. Yeah. I don't get to talk Star Wars with you very much. So. I always wanted a B-Wing. I always, I still to this day have never had a B-Wing. I have a B-Wing pilot figure somewhere, but I never had an actual B-Wing. But they did make B-Wing toys, and I always wanted one. I want to recommend to everybody, by the way, to go to Cracked.com and look up the article about the unsung hero of Star Wars, i.e. the TIE fighter pilot that was one of Darth Vader's escorts at the end of the movie. <laughs> I sent... Uh, Scott a link to it 
I don't know if he's read it yet or not. So I remember you sending the link, and you know what? I don't think I've read it yet. I need to. Basically, the, the idea of it is, is that the Millennium Falcon swoops in, right? Mm-hmm. And he shoots out one of the TIE Fighters. The other TIE Fighter pilot goes, what's that? And bumps into Darth Vader. Right. And that's what sends Darth Vader into his spin. Right. The Millennium Falcon never shot at Darth... It never hit Darth Vader. Mm-hmm. So basically, it's all the TIE Fighter pilot's fault. <laughs> right. You're absolutely right. And that was what this article was about. And I'm like, wow. And they showed the footage. And I'd really like someone to recut that footage into, like, one of those History Channel bullshit conspiracy <laughs> theories. <laughs> like specials. I don't know. I like that. We got a Star Frontiers ad. Don't want to talk about it. <laughs> we have in the past. I don't know how the game went. I'm sure it was lovely. Um, I never knew that Columbia House had a home video game club. Mm-hmm. But this is kind of interesting. Take any one of these games for four ninety five. Yep. Donkey never... Kong. Gorf. Yeah. What the hell was Gorf? Oh, Gorf was an awesome game. Gorf, I don't know how they got away with it unless it was made by the same manufacturer that made all the other games. But Gorf was a game that was uh, it was like a. a it was almost like an anthology in a video game because you had a little bit of Space Invaders. You had a little bit of like a Defenders type or not Defenders, um, like a Galaga type of thing. Ooh. You had uh, it was several different video games in one video game. And every time you cleared a board, it went to a different video game, basically. And I, I never I, you know, it was a really rare game to find. But whenever I would find it, I'd play the hell out of it. And I love that game. But I never understood how are they getting away with blatantly ripping off these other video games for a little while uh, at the Walmart near at the first office depot I worked for. They had a Miss Pac-Man Galaga game in their mm-hmm. video game center. And, dude, I would literally get off work, go over there with like two bucks and sit there and play Galaga, listening to the Star Wars score. Yep, because I was at was awesome. uh, we have where I work. We have a, a a property control building that you can go to and just actually buy things that they're getting rid of from around property. And not long ago, they had that very machine, the the Ms. Pac Man slash Galaga. I think it is. I played shit out of that. Yeah, it was. I, I want to say it was. It was less than two hundred dollars. I can't remember That's exactly not what. Bad. Yeah, I know. And I was like, "Damn, I'd love to." And my wife was like, "Ah, oh, we've already got a video game. You need to get rid of." So, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Not yeah. that we already have a video game that you want and love and have held on to all these years. Right. No, it's a video game you need to get rid of well, because it's huge. You know, it really um, is, and she doesn't like having it in the house. Because it's like literally like the first thing you see when you walk in the the front door is this big ass video game sitting right in the middle of the floor. (laughs) We've got Carnival, Wizard of War, Zaxxon, which I never really liked. I hated that game. I suck so bad at that game. And you played a lot more video games in the 80s than I did. So uh, (laughs) I'm glad that we're kind of on, like, I'm not alone in hating this game. Uh, And Frogger, which. I always thought Frogger was fun, but it's mm-hmm. one of those games that I'm sick of 10 minutes into playing. Right, so, yep. It's like, oh, 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 I'm bored. I was never very good at it either. I liked it, but yeah. 
I could do like the first board, and then after that, it was like very hidden because it would just it would just be the same board over and over again. It was just faster, and they'd throw more stuff in your way, you know. Faster and more intense. Yep. That, that's that's how I direct. Faster <laughs> and more. Uh, we have a warlord action figure. This one boasting that in every package, battle beneath the earth, a full color DC comic book. I just saw one of these Hercules one uh, Hercules ones. With the comic book and everything still in the, it's like a blister pack, I think. Yep. It was on eBay for a dollar and free shipping. <laughs> oh, dude, I would have, I, I probably would have bid on that, actually. If I see it again, I'll, I'll send you the link to it. But yeah, I was like, man, just, uh, just to have it, you know? Yeah. Just, just, just like, because cause it's not like I want to get a whole collection and put them up and be like, hey, this is my warlord collection. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, awesome, dude. <laughs> That's great. Can I see your WWF action figures too? Um, but just, just like, what's that? Oh, I was from the eighties. This is how one company decided they were going to do action figures. Doesn't it suck? It's not quite superpowers, and it's not quite He-Man. So <laughs> the uh, we have a uh, grit ad uh, coming DC Comics. A meanwhile column where uh, Dick Giordano details his convention schedule. Damn, he's busy in the summer. Creation in Anaheim in June, July 2nd through the 4th, Forbidden Planet International SF and Comic Conventions. Uh, Philadelphia, Ottawa, Chicago, Houston Comics Fair, Washington, D.C., San Diego Comic-Con. You know when it used to have comics? (laughs) Anybody remember that? (laughs) And then he's in Orlando in August and September. Aw, that makes me sad. Yeah, I missed you, Dumb ad on the bottom of the letters page: an army of supervillains, two superheroes. What more is there to say? It sucks. <laughs> dial H, dial for, H for hero. <laughs> dial H for hero in Superboy number forty-seven. There's one cool thing about that, though, is I'm almost positive that that's a uh, Joe Staten. I know that that girl looks like Joe Staten. The the, mm-hmm. the superhero guy. Pin man or whatever the hell he is. He looks like he's holding a giant pin in his hand, doesn't he? Actually, kind of looks like a syringe. So he's oh yeah, maybe that's he's it. Dope dealer man, junkie man, yeah, <laughs> junkie man. I'll be right there. Ah, oh, dope dealer man. I'm just I'm just gonna sit down, guys. I'll be right there. Oh wow. Ah, uh, what the hell would she be in my skivvies, lass? <laughs> yes. But I'm serious. She does. She looks like uh, my hair is like two decades out of date, girl. <laughs> <laughs> Jaundice lass. Uh, we've got an Olympic ad which has uh, Captain Olympic right before the inappropriate fondling of a minor charge was uh, filed. I want to see the Rocketeer step in and kick his ass because he's totally wearing the Rocketeer's backpack in that ass. <laughs> It'd be funny that he steps in, punches him dead in the face, takes the backpack, and just walks away. <laughs> uh, AD&D and television game and Burger Time on the Burger back Time. Cover. I liked that game. How could you not? It's burgers and it's time and there's eggs. So that means you're putting eggs on your burger. Mm-hmm. Which sounds really, really unhealthy. I always liked that the bad guys in the in the game were like hot dogs. <laughs> it's, just, it's just it's ridiculous. The natural you know? enemy to the hamburger. <laughs> to the hamburger, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Here we see the hot dog in its natural environment. <laughs> 
The only thing he fears is the hot dog. <laughs> well, it's not like the Jets versus the Sharks uh, mentality that Chick-fil-A has between cows and chicken. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which is ironic, because if you go to the Dwarf House, you can get a cheeseburger. <laughs> the Dwarf House? That still kills me. It's just so wrong. So politically incorrect, and I thats i guess that's why I love it. Probably. <laughs> True it, Kathy. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Stay open on Sunday, you old man. <laughs> I, I, never, I never want a chicken biscuit, except for Sunday morning. And then I can't get it. Speaking of dwarves and being politically incorrect, I had my kids totally buffaloed when they were much, much, much younger that uh, midgets actually worked inside of ATM machines. <laughs> They were like, come on, Dad, they do not. I was like, yes, they do. I said, come on, midgets got to work, too. And how many midgets do you see in the in the working world? I said, that's what they do. They work, they, you know, the day starts and they go and they unlock the door and they get inside the ATM machine. I said, who the hell do you think hands you the cash when you go to the ATM machine? I said, there's a little midget guy in there. <laughs> he counts the money and then he puts it through the slot. Exactly. Playing a little pre-recorded sound effect of it going through like it's mechanical. <laughs> and I could see the wheels turning in their head thinking... You know, this makes a certain amount of logic, I guess, you know, in a and, twisted and, sort of way. It kind of reminds me of the time um, when I was uh, moving out of my house into my first apartment. I had my friends Eric and Ben with me, uh, Ben Zeke and Eric Stovkin. And Eric uh, just out of nowhere goes, you know, guys, I found out the other day that Linnea Quigley was in every movie from 1975 till today. And I, and I, and I immediately got, okay, what's, where's Eric going with this? And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And from the back seat, she was in Star Wars. <laughs> and Eric turns around, yeah. She, you know, you remember when when Luke comes off of the X-wing and and you know Princess Leia comes up and hugs him. She's in the background. <laughs> Who is this? It's some B, <laughs> okay. C movie, <laughs> take off her clothes type star. But it was just that one moment where somebody. You think should know better. Right, I love that. Goes, really? <laughs> and the game is on. We were out somewhere the other day, and there was a there was a little person. I guess that's what they're called these days, a little person. There was a little person. And I, <laughs> like, poked my wife, and was like, I guess he's on his lunch break from the ATM. She was like, stop it, that's not funny. <laughs> but it While is she was funny. laughing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome so what do we want to do now uh elsewhere all right let's see for this time around october 1983 what do we got here well right off the bat the one that jumps out to me on this top row is uh superman and the freedom fighters in um dc comics presents because i always like these pictures of uncle sam rolling up his sleeves he's about to put a hurting on somebody it's not the best gil kane cover in the world but it's it's a pretty good one mm-hmm. i remember this story being pretty decent too if i remember correctly the blackhawk cover took a step down yeah who is that Ooh, ernie colon yeah i'm not a big fan of ernie colon no he's the editor gil kane's the artist Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm looking at the... Yep, you're totally right. Oh, that doesn't look like Gil Kane to me. I do like the... What do they call that thing? The war wheel? I always oh, thought the, the war, war wheel was awesome. Cool, it was though. It was why watching that uh, that three-part 
episode that ended the first season of Justice yeah. League. They went to the past and were fighting. The War Wheel was there. Sergeant Rock, the Black yeah. Ones. Yeah, and that Superman was becomes the Human Torch for thirty seconds. It's great. Yeah, that was good. Ah, uh, Firehawk and Fury of Firestorm number seventeen. Mm-hmm. Like I, Firehawk. Now I don't remember where it was originally published, but I'm noticing this masterwork series about uh, Bernie Wrightson. Mm-hmm. He prints this awesome story, and this is going to sound completely stupid, but I swear to God, it's an awesome story. It's this big fat dude, and all he ever eats is uh, frog legs. So at the end of the story, all these crippled frogs, I mean, literally, they have, like, little crutches and, like, little wheelchairs and stuff. You know, like, the, the little, like, you know, I'm a veteran, you know, give me a quarter type of thing. You know, the little platform with wheels. <laughs> wow. They come rolling in on him at the very end of the story. And at the end of the story, he doesn't have any legs, and he's sitting on one of those little wheel platform things. It's like I say, it sounds completely well, stupid, but it's Bernie Wrightson, so you know it's the creepiest, darkest, freakiest shit you've ever read. It's really, really good. I watched a great interview with him once, where he was talking about what horror is to him. Mm-hmm. He goes, "Horror to me is a finely dressed gentleman standing on a street corner, you know, impeccable hat, impeccable suit." You know, cufflinks, everything. And there's a spot of blood on his shoe. And I'm like, yeah, that is pretty damn horrific when you really think about it. Because <laughs> you're like, where did that blood come from? Okay. Was that uh, in, uh, oh, I think I had that same... Comic Book Masters. Yeah, I had that. I have that. Uh, I don't I know if I still have it, but somewhere. I had it on, v- on VHS years ago. Paid a fortune for it. Uh, I, I bought it at Tower Records in Atlanta. I just randomly found it. And it has a manifesto by Steve Ditko that is just like, yeah. wow. <laughs> you <laughs> you can dig are... that out and watch it again. Wow. And it has Dave Sim, and I just want to punch him in the fucking face. <laughs> okay. I don't really, you know, I've never read Cerebus, so I can't speak to the man's work. I just think that every time I hear him speak, I want to beat him to death. So, <laughs> I think he has rage issues, my friend. He's <laughs> hey, w- I couldn't hear you in your glass house. Maybe I was just going to say, says the yeah, says the pot to the kettle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Justice, League, <laughs> Justice League of America number two nineteen, folks. This is a JLA JSA crossover. We will be covering this in about two weeks. Hmm. So. I like this cover too. That's a nice uh, Perez cover there. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to feel about the story. I've never read it, but I know kind of the ending to it, and I'm worried. <laughs> I remember this actually being a pretty decent one, if it's the one I'm thinking. It, it involves Black Canary, correct? Yes. Yeah, I remember that being decent, but again, you know my, you know how my memory is. So, Who Love the, the cover. cover to... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. The Flash. Yeah, that is a good one. Ooh, this is not a real, now that I blow it up bigger, this is not a real pretty cover on uh, Wonder Woman. Here you got Ross Andrew and Dick Giordano. That's usually a winning combination, but not so good on Wonder Woman, I'm I'm thinking. I'm looking Green at Lantern. Lantern. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. GI Combat? Oh, yeah, I'm just looking at it. This is the one where he's going, ah! <laughs> he's got the machine gun and just <laughs> mowing down somebody. It's actually not a bad one for, see, I like... This sort of thing for Cuber. This is this is his like natural, you know, natural ground right here. Is is this war stuff? Because that's a good that. cover. 
Which I one? Have, Green Lantern? That, I have that. I have that whole series of, of deluxe reprints of the Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff. It's really oh, you're nice. looking at the deluxe. Okay, I was looking at the wrong one. Yeah, that's a beautiful cover. That's the uh, M2, M not cover. I like that. And, oh, well, all of the covers to yeah. that series were great. I have those, I and I have the New Gods reprints, the deluxe ones that came out in the 80s. Oh, I don't remember that. And Wrath of Wrath of Spectre I have. I really want to find the Shadow of the Batman ones that reprints the Inglehart Rogers. Those I have, and they're very, very nice. Uh, yeah. And the Dead Man ones. Those I, I have, have, too. Yeah. As a matter of fact, most of those, uh, well, not most of, but a lot of those Dead Man stories, that's still the only way I have the, the whole saga is from that, that reprint series. Because those issues are hard to find and can be damn expensive. New Teen Titans Siege, where Cyborg is about to beat the piss out of somebody. Yep. They grabbed the wrong girlfriend in that story. <laughs> he walked into the wrong goddamn room. Um, Superman, I like the Superman 388 cover. This looks like a job for me! Yeah, I don't like that cover. It's weird, because this is a, this is like the month for hit and miss Gil Kane, because, I, you know, the the DC Comics one is like, eh. The Superman one is like, nah, I don't know so much. But then the Green Lantern one is oh, like freaking yes. awesome, dude. That's great. That ought to be a t-shirt. I like the Supergirl cover, too. Supergirl, yes. That's yeah, I, right before she gets my favorite version of her costume. Yeah, the one with the headband and all that. I love that outfit. And it, Oh, man. Just... Uh, that's why I bought the Crisis Action figure. Yeah, I do like that outfit. It, it's not, you know, just because I say it's not my favorite one doesn't mean I don't like it. I, I do really like that one, and uh, I, I thought she looked really good in it, and, you know, especially, like, in Crisis, because, unfortunately, that's the outfit she died in. But, yeah, I did, I do like, I, I did like that outfit quite a lot. Now, uh, I, I peeked ahead today when I was taking notes and all at some of these covers, and uh, I love this one. For Legion of Superheroes 304 because it has Laurel Kent. Ah, I decided yes. to look her up because I had always thought that she was a creation of this era of Legion of Superheroes because that's when I was introduced to her. Turns out she's from way back in Super uh, Superboy number 217. So I'm going to have to go back and hunt that up because I'm really curious about her actual introduction because I remember her from these uh, Keith Giffen stories of, of Legion, you know, where she was just a, a very, very, very occasionally referenced background character that I always wanted to learn more about. I thought she was a very potentially a very interesting character. And she was just kind of planted in there as she's more than likely a descendant, you know, a, a, a you know, a, 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 what do you call it? a millennium removed descendant of Superman. And I liked that idea. You know, I really thought that was a cool idea. Unfortunately, they ended up totally dropping the ball with that when it gets to that, uh, what was it? Millennium, millennium which was terrible. <laughs> but, yeah, that sucked. you know, and when it comes to, you know, Millennium was okay in, in certain aspects, but when it came to what they did to, to Laurel Kent, I was really, really pissed. You it, know? It, it's, it's kind of funny, though, with DC. Either... It's very rare that both the crossovers and the main book are good. Mm -hmm. It's like Legends, I think, is one of those where the crossovers and the main book were good. Yep. Millennium, the crossovers were great. And the main book 
wasn't. Nope. At all. Nope. Uh, invasion, I think, w- was a nice balance, too. Yeah, but I it's like, like Invasion. Uh, when you keep going on down, it's just like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so this is what diminishing returns looks like. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, Genesis. <laughs> I love you, John Byrne. Why did you do that story? <laughs> I do like uh, the Gil Kane cover on uh, Action Comics uh, 548, mm-hmm. though, with the, the Phantom Zoners and Jewel Kryptonite. I like that Sergeant Rock cover, too, of Rock and a Nazi officer side by side. Uh, Aryan Lord of Atlantis looks like George Perez and John Byrne drew him on this cover. Yeah, you're right. That's weird. Who did that? That's Jan Dersema. Really? Yep. Went on to do uh, Star Wars. Really good Star Wars stuff, too. Uh, the Detective Comics is the very definition of a t-shirt that my wife has that says, Can't sleep. Clowns will kill me. Can't sleep. Clowns will kill me. Jonah Hex number 77. Sadly, I lost out on that lot. Aw. That's not a bad cover either. I kind of like that cover, even though it's a it's a Ross Andrew, and I'm not crazy about his Jonah. It's actually cool where Jonah's mowing. It looks like he's mowing down somebody with his big old Gatlin gun, and then he's kicking over a ladder. Of these guys climbing up trying to take him out. That's actually pretty cool. I like that. I'll get you, you sons of bitches. <laughs> Superboy has a cool cover this month. Sunburst is that guy's name. <laughs> Sunburst. I could not think of his name to save my life. That's his name. Sunburst. Sounds like a candy, doesn't it? And the world's finest cover blows. Poor Adam, reduced to fighting rats. Well, <laughs> a, you know, after a story this... we could only call all rats. <laughs> <laughs> well, after reading his appearance in Justice League America for last week or for this week's From Crisis to Crisis, um, yeah, he deserves whatever he gets because he was a big old douchebag in that issue. Whoops. You guys aren't the Justice League I remember. We had class. We hung out in a satellite, and we had we had bake offs. And <laughs> Green Arrow would bring his chili. I'm in love with Hawkman, and then he starts crying. Okay, <laughs> one of those things didn't happen. Yeah, I don't remember them ever having chili. Oh, we are so wrong for that. Yep. (laughs) But we're wrong together, and that's all that's important. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Yes. I agree. We are trying something new this week, folks. Mm -hmm. Usually, and for the past couple of uh, months... Okay, years. Uh, we've had a canned <laughs> outro that we recorded some time ago uh, through much stumbling on both of our parks. Uh, so, but what we're, what we're going to try this week, so, and, and coming up in the future, mainly so that we don't have such a depressing ending every time we go out. <laughs> it's just like, and this has never been reprinted. It's never going to be reprinted. Why are we even doing this? I hate my life. Daddy! Type endings. Um, I thought it would be fun. And, well, actually, I didn't think this. Scott did, and I agreed with him. 
Well, we're just going to do the outro live. Ah, here we go. So, <laughs> you already said that's it for this week, so you want me to take the next line? No, I figured we'll, 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 we'll change off. Whoever does the synopsis, the person, the other person will do the outro. Oh, all right, that works. So you want me to do the whole... All right, <clears throat> okay, pressure's on. Here I'll we do go. it next week. Okay, that works. Well, that's it for this week, folks. Be sure to visit our website at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring both Michael and myself, as well as several other sad and pathetic human beings who have nothing better to do with their time. Join our forum at www.forumforgeeks.com, where you can comment on this week's show and interact with us and your fellow listeners. We have built a great, fun, and friendly community there, and we'd love for you to be a part of it. And I mean that, too. As always, you can reach us by email at talesofthejsa at gmail.com. And, of course, Michael and I are both on the Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, if you enjoy this show, won't you please, please take a moment to mention us on the social networking site of your choice whenever you're listening? We would appreciate it. Word of mouth is still the best way to let others know about our show. And again, we appreciate your helping us grow our listenership. Thank you so much for listening, folks. And be sure to join us again next time for the tales of the Justice Society of America. Thank you for listening to Tales of the Justice Society of America. We love you. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we go to meet the foe. Let's remember Pearl Harbor as we get the Alamo. We will always remember how they died for liberty. Let's remember Pearl Harbor and go on to be